Amen. Well, good morning. I'm glad you're uh, here with us. If you're here for the first time or you're with us online, know that we're glad you're here. Uh, Before we jump back into the book of Exodus, I want to bring up a few things in the life of our church. Tomorrow night in downtown Tampa, one of our partner churches, uh, we're going to have a night of prayer and worship. You know, we do these nights of prayer and worship uh, periodically to help us remember the Lord's faithfulness and also to beg God uh, in faith to move, that we would see God do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. Praying, uh, praying crazy and bold, audacious prayers is it's just something that we do here at New City Church. We serve a mighty God and we want our prayers to reflect that. If he answers them, great. Uh, if not, uh, great. God is still glorified, but the scriptures are clear that we are to come to God believing in faith prayerfully and boldly. And when we do this, it's an act of worship. It gives glory to God if, if, in, who he, in who we know him to be. So that's tomorrow night at 7 p.m. at uh, FBC Tampa in downtown Tampa. And then secondly, next weekend, uh, we're providing pizza to college students after our 11 a.m. Serve, uh, service as a way to bless and encourage them as we've said repeatedly, a major part of our vision is involves college students. We believe uh, that if we can reach the campus, we can reach the world. And so next Sunday, we're going to host a socially distanced uh, kickoff event uh, after church, outside for our college students. And then the last thing before we jump into Exodus. Uh, in two weeks from today, we're starting a two-week mini-series I've titled Hot Topics in a Divided World. We're, we're going to cover two topics, justice and politics. Uh, with an election coming up in November, it's inevitable that a political, uh, there's a political divide. And we have an enemy that wants to use it to divide God's people. And so we'll, we'll address how, how do we think about politics in the church? And then secondly, justice. This past week, if you've paid attention to the news, uh, a lot has happened this week. Natural disasters, shootings, protests, riots. Uh, but one specifically that I want to address was the incident, incidents with Jacob Blake. It was a traumatic event, an event that we should look at and grieve over, mourn and lament over, praying for him, his family, his kids, all those that witness it, as well as the police officers involved. And we see events like this uh, that happen this week. They remind us yet again that the world is broken, that the world ought not be this way. And in all honesty, this one specific event with Jacob Blake is just one of many events that have happened in our country that have sparked a lot of dialogue and response around this idea of justice Uh, Some healthy and some not so healthy. And so we need to ask ourselves, how should we as Christians respond to this? What does the Bible say about this idea of justice? It's a biblical term. God calls us to to do justice. And so we have to, so you know, I believe these two topics, justice and politics, are so important for us to address. And the events surrounding this week are yet another reminder of its importance. Because what we'll see to be true, because what we see to be true with all that has happened, is that sin is real, the enemy is real, but yet if we are in Christ, we are a Holy Spirit-empowered people that have an eternal hope in Jesus Christ that leads, guides, and directs us towards a better and a different way. This world is not our home. We live for another world, which may I remind you is why we called New City Church, New City Church. And it's because, as the book of Hebrew tells us, we live for the city that is to come. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in heaven. We have a heavenly hope that directs us towards a better way. And so today we mourn and grieve and we look at our world knowing that it ought not be this way while crying out saying, come soon, Lord Jesus. Come soon. We cry out and pray for the day where people from all over the world, all skin colors and political parties will be worshiping Jesus Christ crucified. But until that day, as the people of God, 
We can bring glimpses of our future hope into our in today's ugly, sinful, and divided world because Jesus Christ sits on his throne, leading his kingdom, bringing justice to the kingdom, while, while giving his people the opportunity to show a foretaste of God's kingdom. But that's in two weeks. That's not today. So get ready for hot topics in a divided world. But today, we're back in Exodus, uh, which in all honesty, today's passage is one of my favorite personal passages that has repeatedly encouraged me over the years. But to be frank with you, it's not really one of those passages that would uh, typically read and think, oh, wow, I'm just so encouraged. I guess I'm just a little strange like that. Uh, But today's passage is also a passage that just like the rest of the Exodus story we've covered, uh, the story we've covered so far this summer, it is widely referenced and alluded to by the New Testament writers. Understanding today's text along with the book of Uh, The whole book of Exodus and really the entire Old Testament helps us to better understand the New Testament, which is why we make Jesus the hero of every sermon that we preach, even in the Old Testament. And so as a quick recap, today's passage, it takes place right after God's people, Israel, are released from slavery after 430 years under an evil ruler, Pharaoh. Pharaoh had second thoughts, and he was trying to recapture Israel, but God protected Israel by parting the Red Sea Israel walked through untouched on dry ground, and the Egyptian army was destroyed, thus saving Israel, making them free. They were once slaves, but now they're finally free. And last week, we saw their response to their salvation, to their freedom from the slavery of Egypt, which was to sing and to worship the Lord, to declare his good deeds through song. And here uh, here we are this week, right after their time of great encouragement and praise, Uh, which let me prepare you, they walk into a life situation they probably were not thinking was going to happen. This cycle in Exodus of praise and faith and then doubt and unbelief, it's real. And we read today's passage thinking, Israel, what is wrong with you? How quickly do you forget? Did you forget what God just did? And then we think, oh wait, I'm, I'm the same way. We realize that this is the normal Christian life that follows the Lord. God never promises an easy life. God never promises comfort or physical safety. God also never promises that if we do everything he says, he will lead us into a life that we would pick for ourselves. But rather, he promises that when we follow him, he will prove to be sufficient. And he will prove to be satisfying and enough that he is all we need no matter where we are. Our circumstances will change, our lifestyles will change, where we live and what we do will change, but God never changes. God is always trustworthy. As I've heard one man say, it may not always feel good, but it will always be for our good. Today, we see this played out firsthand as Israel is led into the wilderness, the desert, something like a desert, forced yet again to trust the Lord, leading us to our main point for today. The Lord is trustworthy in the wilderness. One pastor and commentator called our passage today, Wilderness University. Something we know to be true about college is that students learn way more in college than just what they learn in class. There's a formal education that is valuable, but the life experiences that is, are, the people go through are also valuable. You know, for example, when I got to college, I had to learn how to cook uh, more than just pancakes and cookies. I had to learn how to pay bills. I had to learn, learn how to take care of my car, which, if, which as of last week, it basically died because I didn't take care of my car in college. You know, I also grew in faith a ton in college. Uh, college is such a formative time. But as we'll see today, the wilderness for Israel was their university experience. 
God was forming them and shaping them and growing them and counseling them in the wilderness. The great Charles Spurgeon called the wilderness the Oxford and Cambridge for God's students. They were saved from Egypt, but now it's time for them to grow at Wilderness University. To say it another way, if the crossing of the Red Sea saved Israel, we could say the wilderness sanctified Israel. That said, we've got a lot of text to cover today. Uh, we're going to start in Exodus 15, 22, where we left off last week. Uh, we're going to go all the way to Exodus uh, chapter 17, verse 17, uh, verse 7, excuse me. And, and so get ready. You know, we've got, uh, we, we're going to try to cover it in sections, but it's a great story worth reading the whole thing. And to structure our time today, uh, we've got two big buckets of how we're going to deal with this passage. Number one, Israel in the wilderness, and number two, Christ in the wilderness. Our first point uh, we'll spend most of our time, uh, we'll go through the entire story. We're going to see three different tests here in our first point in, in Wilderness University. Uh, we'll see three tests, and we'll also see three major themes in our story in our first point. And then, on the back end of our time, we'll see how Jesus comes in and fulfills what we see in our story. So if you have your Bibles, follow along with me, starting in Exodus 15, 22, we're going to see our first test. I guess we could call it our, our pre-test. It's a smaller test. Exodus 15, starting in verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore it was named Marah, and the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. So here we see our first test. It's a short test. Uh, there was, it was meant to prepare Israel for their big test, kind of like the pre-SAT. They leave the, the Red Sea, and they walk, and they went into the wilderness, and they were, they were there for three days with no water. And something I've become accustomed to uh, living here in Florida is always drinking water. I've got to where I just don't leave the house without water. Some people won't leave without their phone. Uh, for me, it's water. Uh, when I go into a workout, I can't start a workout unless I have something to drink. I'm not kidding. I start to freak out a little bit. You know, I'm not, I'm not generally an anxious person, but I do get anxious uh, if I don't have water uh, in a workout. It's a little bit my, like my security blanket. I feel like I may pass out if I don't have it. It helps regulate my heart rate. You know, if you've ever been to a country, uh, to a place uh, where the w water quality is in question, you may understand this. You're always wondering if the water has been boiled, or uh, you always make sure that you've got water on you wherever you go. Because why? Because water is a basic necessity. It's essential. It's an essential life uh, it's, a basic, it's a basic necessity to life. And so you can imagine Israel in this moment, they're living three days, uh, they went three days without water, which for those who aren't keen on the human body or who weren't educated by the great bear grills, uh, the human body can only live three days without water. So Israel just saw God do an incredible work. They show, he showed his mighty power and now they literally think they're going to die because they have no water. And the water they had, it was bitter. It was bad. And the people grumbled to Moses because of it. And Moses cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log. <laughs> Which if this happened to me, I'd be thinking, 
These people are whining and complaining uh, because they have no water, and you point me to a log. And Moses, in obedience, he doesn't question God or wonder how it would work, but instead he just takes the log and he throws it into uh, and, and, th- and turns it into water, and th- throws it down and turns it into water. And the bitter water was made sweet. God took something bitter, and it was made sweet. This is what God does. God takes bad situations and can turn them into something good. And then God uses this moment to remind them uh, to continue to establish his covenant. It says in verse 28, and this is my paraphrase. He says, if you listen to me, if you do what is right, if you follow the commandments and statutes, I will protect you from my wrath. You won't experience what the Egyptians experienced. I'm the Lord, your healer. I turn what is bitter into something sweet. Listen to me. Obey me. Do and do what is right, and it will go well with you, which as a quick side note. Notice how God saved them, and then he began to instruct them on how to live. God didn't instruct them on how to live in Egypt first. No, he rescued them first and is now teaching them the way they are to live. God is starting Israel's discipleship process. And we're starting to see a turning point here in Exodus. We just witnessed a great salvation out of Egypt, and now Israel is trying to learn how to follow God. And he sends Israel into the wilderness to teach them and to train them. But what I love about this is that before they go into their long trek in the wilderness, God places them in an oasis uh, by 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees to encamp, for them to encamp. God provided rest for them before the big test would come. This was their pretest before the big test. God provided a safe haven by his grace in the midst of their grumbling and complaining for them to be reminded of the Lord's goodness and trustworthiness to prepare them for the trek ahead of them. And then look what happens next in this big test, this next test. I want you to pay special attention to Israel's grumbling as we read this. It's a longer section that I'm going to read, so pay attention. Follow here with me. Starting in verse 1 in chapter 16. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the wilderness of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, but that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they, as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against us, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. I'm going to stop there for a second. 
And we're right in the middle of this second test. Uh, and I want to point out these three themes uh, that we see in each test in the wilderness. You know, Israel has continued to go into the wilderness, the desert, and after two and a half months, God's people started to grumble and they started to complain, showing our first theme in the wilderness. Uh, 1A, Israel's grumbling. We see them grumble and complain, and we see, uh, and then we see that they become delirious again. They're deceiving themselves, thinking slavery, they're thinking slavery in Egypt was better because at least there they had food. And in the Lord's incredible patience, he did not zap them. No, he, grac- he was gracious with his people. He was patient with them, showing our second theme, 1B, the Lord's patience. And in the midst of their grumbling and whining and complaining, the Lord comes in and shows his care and patience and provision for his people to sustain them. Showing the third wilderness sea, one sea, the Lord's provision. God says to them, while they're in the desert, in the last place that makes any reasonable sense to find food, and he tells them, in the morning I will provide bread, and in the evening I will provide meat. Once again, God's people were on their last leg. They were desperate, grumbling, losing heart, worn down. And God reminds him of his trustworthy care that he would sustain them. Again, we see our three themes and our three tests. Those three themes are Israel's grumbling, the Lord's patience, and the Lord's provision. Let's keep reading as we see the Lord's provision in action for God to do exactly what he said he would do. Starting in verse 13. And in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. In the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, each one of you, as much as he can eat. And you shall take an omer, which... There's about nine cups. Uh, take, take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. and Whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. So again, God's people, uh, they grumble and complain. And yet in God's kindness, he provides quail for them to eat at night and bread in the morning. But what I want to stop and point out is he, he gave specific commands saying, don't take too much. Take only enough for the day. Whatever is left, worms will eat of it, and it will stink. So every day in the desert, they had to work to gather their food. They didn't really have to do anything for their salvation. They just had to walk through the sea by faith. But in the wilderness, the Lord provided the food. They just had to go and get it. They had to gather it for the day. They had to work out their faith. God was making them depend on him for daily provision. And then look what we see next. We just saw God provide bread and meat, and then he also provided rest. Starting, look at starting in verse 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. But what you will bake and boil, what you will boil and all that is left over, lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, 
as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Here, God is reestablishing a rhythm of work and rest. Because remember, God is teaching them and training them on how to live, how to follow the Lord. Because remember, back in Egypt, it was ruthless. and it was, There was nonstop slavery. They worked every day, nonstop. So God is displaying his trusting care for providing a rhythm of rest, even in the wilderness. Because we work trusting the Lord's provision, and then we rest under the Lord's provision. And then to finish out this second test in chapter 16, let's read with me starting in verse 31. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it were like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I feed you in the wilderness. When I brought you out of the land of Egypt, and Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generation. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And omer is the tenth part of an epheth. God said, "Let uh, keep a jar uh, and get a jar and keep some of this manna. And so those after you will remember this, reminding how God provided for you in the wilderness. And what's crazy about this whole story to me is that they were in the desert for 40 years. For 40 years, they trusted the Lord for food. I mean, I'm notorious for eating the same thing every day for several months. But 40 years is a long time. You know, but, but it was all they had. It was all they needed. God provided just enough to sustain them in the desert. Finding nothing more and nothing, needing nothing more and nothing less. They didn't have uh, their Oreos. They didn't have their cookie two-step. They didn't have their fancy, fancy smoothie bowls. They didn't have those poke bowls or poke bowls or pokey bowls, whatever you want to call it. Chipotle wasn't even an option. Although, as I was studying this week, uh, it dawned on me on Saturday night uh, in the wilderness and possibly even Sunday, maybe they could have had a makeshift Chick-fil-A sandwich with the bread and the bird. Uh, because the bread lasted two days on Saturday. Every, day, every other day, the bread melted when the sun came up. And so on Saturday nights, I'd like to think they had God's sandwich. But the point is, God provided just enough for God's people while also establishing healthy rhythms of rest. The process of the wilderness was for Israel's good. and taught them to trust the Lord's provision. It instilled in them healthy rhythms of of work and rest. And it provided a mirror into their heart, which we'll get into in just a second. But I want to keep reading to finish out our passage that we, uh, and see our third test for today. This is after 40 years in the desert. Uh, they're finally leaving the desert. And look at 17, starting in verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped by Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, 
Give us water to drink. Did you notice the command here? You know, back in chapter 15, in their first test, when they had no water, uh, they at least asked for it, but now they're commanding Moses. We're starting to see evidence that the people are growing even more weary. They're losing their patience. They're becoming bitter and angry. And look what Moses says in return. And Moses said to them, why did you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring up Bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. Just think about this. God brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery, protected them during the plagues, directed them towards the wilderness, parted the Red Sea. They sing in victory. They go into the wilderness for three days. God showed his power by turning bitter water into sweet water, puts them into an oasis for rest, and then they go into the wilderness for 40 years. Every morning, without fail, God provided bread from heaven and quail at night, and on the seventh day, God provides rest, day in and day out for 40 years, and as soon as they leave the desert... They hit one instance of difficulty and hardship, and they grumble, and they're led into doubt and unbelief. And it's wearing on Moses. Look what Moses says in verse 4. So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Israel's grumbling and anger, doubt and unbelief, it was wearing on Moses. Their constant grumbling was discouraging Moses. It was bringing him down, causing him to doubt, affecting him, saying, God, what am I to do? They're ready to stone me. And something I want to stop and point out here from one of our themes is the danger of grumbling. It's the danger of complaining. Israel's grumbling is showed over and over and over again throughout this story. And for generations to come, Israel's grumbling was used as an example of its danger. We see that. We see Paul bring it up in 1 Corinthians 10. We see Paul in Philippians 2.14 says, he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Listen, our attitudes are contagious. Grumbling and complaining, a lack of joy, a bitterness and a hardness of heart, they're contagious. They're dangerous. And so we need to ask ourselves, do we have a grumbling heart or do we have a grateful heart? I don't know about you. Maybe I'm the only one. I don't know. But I've been guilty of grumbling. In the past few weeks, I've had to really repent of this. It's easy to look out into the world and and grumble and find fault and complain. But I've had to ask myself and repent of this, repenting of my moments of grumbling and complaining where I haven't been finding my joy in the Lord. These things are so easy to creep into our hearts. We must beware of the danger of grumbling. And building building off of this idea, something that Pastor Tabidi has said, he says hardship either makes us bitter or better. And as we've seen here today, Israel in the wilderness became bitter. Their grumbling was growing, and it was affecting Moses. And when we're put into the wilderness, when we go through trials and testing, we cannot stay the same. We just don't. We either grow and walk towards the Lord or we fall backwards and walk away from the Lord. We either grow bitter towards the Lord or more thankful of the Lord. And our grumbling and complaining hearts reveal what's inside of our hearts. It shows our faith. We have to ask, is our faith stable or is it fragile? Israel didn't know this, but God made it clear to them through the wilderness that their faith was fragile. They needed to mature and grow. What was in their heart was being revealed. 
And this is not me saying this, but God's word says this about Israel's heart in the, de- in, the, in, the de- in the wilderness, in the desert. Deuteronomy 8.2, Moses later says, God, God writes in the scriptures, later in the Old Testament, in 8.2 it says, You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Get this. God sent Israel into the wilderness to reveal what was inside of their heart, to humble them, to grow them, to mature them. And something we need to understand about Israel is that they were legally free from slavery. They were completely free, out of bondage. They were not slaves, but they were free. But they needed to learn how to live as free people, which we'll see again, which we'll see in more depth next week. Tim Keller said, you can get the people out of slavery quickly, but it's harder to get the slavery out of people. God took them through the wilderness to teach them, to grow them, to counsel them, and to disciple them. We see this theme running throughout the entire New Testament. And we read last week, James 1.3, the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. Something that's generally true is that people who haven't been through much oftentimes can, can lack depth or be superficial or struggle to empathize. You know, nobody just nobody wants to be shallow. No one just says, "Yeah, I want to be a shallow person." You know, rather we want we want depth, but we don't want the process. You know, we kind of like we want to you know we want to be zapped into it, kind of like the Matrix, kind of get plugged into a bunch of things and just walk out and have more depth. But that's not how God works. There's a process. God uses His Word and life experiences like the wilderness to make us more like Him, to grow us, and to mature us, and to deepen us. We have to know His Word. And live out the word. There's so much more we could say here, but I want to finish reading our story. If you remember, Moses just cried out to the Lord. He was saying, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And then we pick back up in verse 5 with, with the Lord's response. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah. Because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? When Moses says, What shall I do with this people? He says, Take the elders of Israel and keep moving. Go and strike a rock, and water will come out. And that's what he did, showing yet again the Lord's patience and the Lord's provision. And what I want to point out here is what they named the place. It was named Massa and Meribah, uh, which means testing and quarreling. Why was it named that? So they wouldn't forget. So they wouldn't forget the dangers of grumbling as well as the dangers of uh, doubt and quarreling. What we see at the end of verse 7, it says, uh, they asked Is the Lord among us or not? Basically asking, is the Lord here or not? Is the Lord working or not? Does the Lord care or not? Will the Lord provide or not? Brothers and sisters, may we heed the warning of grumbling and doubt today. May we not take our wilderness journey for granted. God uses them for our good to grow us and to deepen us and to make us more like himself. These are all good and important lessons for us to remember. But that said, if we stopped here, we would be missing the... the greatest part of this entire story. And so in the last eight to 10 minutes of our time, I want to make sure we don't miss the greatness of this passage. 
the completeness of what we see in our text. And this is our second and final point, number two, Christ in the wilderness. You know, much of what we see in our Exodus story, it was fulfilled or made better in Jesus. Everything in the Bible points to Jesus. We see promises made in the Old Testament. We see promises kept in the New Testament. We can't read the Old Testament nor the New Testament in isolation. Everything in the Bible, it's one connected book. And so in the last few minutes of our time, you know, I want to, I on our last point, we're going to be all over the Bible here. You know, it's kind of like a Bible drill, so be ready. If you feel lost in all the Bible references, that's okay. Uh, hopefully it will make sense on the end. But try to follow me, because when we read about the test that Israel failed in the wilderness by grumbling and complaining... We see in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus passed the test. In Matthew chapter 4, right after Jesus was baptized, right after Jesus passed through the water, similar to how Israel passed through the Red Sea, we see that Jesus was led directly into the wilderness for 40 days where he was tested. And do you know what Jesus quoted? He quoted part of Deuteronomy 8.3. We quoted, I I, I referenced Deuteronomy 8.2 earlier that was used to explain why God led Israel into the wilderness, but then Jesus comes in and quoted the second half of Deuteronomy 8.3, when he was in the wilderness, in the New Testament, the end of Deuteronomy 8.3 says, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus said these things when he was in the wilderness, being tempted by the devil, right before he began his ministry, not as a model to memorize scripture, although that is important. No, he said it to show that he was passing the test that Israel failed. Jesus is the truer and better Israel. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus passed the test that we could not pass. Jesus came to live the life that we could not live. This is the gospel. We couldn't do it, but Jesus did it. He went in our place. We failed the test, deserving punishment, but Jesus passed the test. And he gave us his reward. When Jesus went to the cross, he died the death that we deserve. And then when we put our faith in Jesus, we get his reward. And then, get this, in John chapter 6, Jesus comes in and shows himself as the bread of life. Right after Jesus multiplies five loaves and two fish, the crowd came up to Jesus seeking him because of what he did with the bread. And the crowd brings up this story of the manna that we'd read today in Exodus chapter 16. And Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 32, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they say back to Jesus in response, they say, give us this bread. And then Jesus responds by saying, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In this moment, Jesus is alluding to the lack of food in the desert and the lack of water after the desert that uh, that Israel experienced in our Exodus story today. Jesus is saying we need him. We need Jesus more than we need bread and water itself. We can live temporarily with bread and water, but we can only live forever into eternity when we have Jesus, the bread of life. And you know what's interesting, but not ironic about this, is that in John chapter 6, verse 41, after Jesus tells them all these things, it says the Jews grumbled. They did not accept what God had given them. They rejected Jesus, the bread of life. Israel, in the Old Testament, when they were in the wilderness, they grumbled because God's God's provision of their physical needs. 
In Israel, in the New Testament, when they encountered Jesus, the bread of life, they grumbled because of God's provision of their deepest spiritual needs. They did not like it. And then get this. When we reflect on the third test in the wilderness, where Moses was told to strike the rock for water, in Exodus 17, 6, it says, You shall strike the rock, the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And what's interesting about this is that in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, where Paul is describing this Exodus event, it says, They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. So follow me here. After the wilderness, during this third test, Moses struck the rock and the people drank water. But what's interesting is that Moses was told later in Numbers chapter 20 to not strike the rock again. But yet, he struck it anyways. You know what God did? He punished Moses because of it. And what we now know from what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 is that the rock was Christ. And that the rock of Christ was struck the second time on the cross, and then get this. In John 19, 34, it says, both blood and water flowed out of Jesus' side after he was struck. And then it keeps going. Listen, in John 7, we see we drink from Jesus the living water. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in Jesus out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then it keeps going. Listen, reflecting on the first test, the pretest, where Moses struck a bitter log and turned it sweet, we, we now know through the gospel is that God turns what is bitter into what is sweet. God turns messes into masterpieces. God turns what the enemy meant for evil. God turns it and uses it for his good pleasure. I don't know what season you're in right now. Maybe your life has felt like a wilderness at times. Maybe you're coming out of a wilderness, or maybe you're about to go into one. Wherever the Lord has you, know that in the wilderness, Jesus is both the river of life and the bread of life, and that Jesus is all that we need. There will be seasons of grumbling and complaining, seasons of doubt and discouragement, but remember God's incredible patience that he shows us through the gospel. Just like Israel woke up every single day with a fresh start, with new bread, with new manna from heaven, every day in the gospel, we're given a new life. We're given a new beginning. Even while Israel was in the wilderness, God provided bread and quail, and God also provided rest. They just had to be faithful to go get the bread. They had to be obedient to find rest. Hear this today. Jesus, the bread of life, is enough. Jesus, the river of life, is more than sufficient. And what, what we often find and realize when we're in the wilderness, what Pastor Tim Keller said that I thought was so good. In the wilderness, we don't go to God for our needs, but we go to God as what we need. Oftentimes in the wilderness, we think we need everything else but Jesus. But in God's incredible patience and provision, he sends us into the wilderness to show us that Jesus is all we need. It's often says we don't, we don't realize that God is all we need until God is all we have. And so I want to close here by asking a few simple questions. Wherever you are in relation to your wilderness, you're either in it now, going into one, or coming out of one. The first question I want to ask is, do you believe, do we believe that Jesus is enough? With everything that's going on in the world right now, Do we believe that Jesus is enough? With our ever-changing culture, do we believe that Jesus is enough? In your grief and sorrow or wandering or loneliness, do we believe that Jesus is enough? Can you say, can we say, God, you are all I need. God, you are enough. Because brothers and sisters, 
There may be seasons in the wilderness, but may we not lose sight of how God uses the wilderness for our good and for his glory. New City Church, may we not forget that the Lord is trustworthy even in the wilderness. Let's pray. God, you are good. God, you are trustworthy. God, you take our messes and you turn them into masterpieces. God, you take what is bitter and you make it sweet. God, you take hard situations and you turn it out and you use it for your good and your glory. God, may we trust you. May we believe in you. Father, for those that may not trust, have not yet, have yet to trust in Jesus, Father, would, would they find their hope and their rest? Would they put their faith in Jesus? If they're watching online or listening here today, Father, would, would we trust in Jesus today? Because you're the bread of life, you're the river of life. You are sufficient. You are all that we need. We love you and you ask you in Jesus' name.